Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. On this episode, we're joined by Steve Dale, nationally syndicated radio host of multiple podcasts, including Steve Dale's Pet World. Steve Dale is the most recognized pet journalist in the United States and is an expert in the ways that we live with our pets and how our pets live with us. Today, we're looking at dog breeds. Does dog breed matter? Do some dogs bite more than others? And how do we make sure we're getting the right dog for us? Well, I am so excited, as always, to be joined by my good friend and someone that I've looked up to for years and years, ever since I got into animal training, Steve Dale. And Steve Dale is a host of two nationally syndicated pet shows. And I saw on your credit, Steve, that you are the the most well-known pet journalist in America. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm, I am a little concerned. You said looked up to years and years and years and years. So Dog Bite Prevention Week is right around the corner. Yes. And I, you know, as you were talking about the breed specific legislation, it made me think, even though that's a later kind of uh, talking point, I think it's actually a, a good bridge to start off with because people think of one of the main ways to prevent dog bites is to have breed specific legislation. And I want to jump into that and ask you, like, why do you think that maybe isn't the best solution? Not maybe is not the best solution. It is not the best solution. Yes. So if we're talking about significant dog bites, we actually know why these bites occur. Uh, it is the dogs that are unsocialized. It is dogs that uh, were identified as intact dogs. But what we now know is that the problem is not that they're intact. They're not going to be more aggressive because they are intact. They will be more aggressive because they have the opportunity to be. But here's what I mean. A dog that is intact is going to smell a hot babe or sense a hot babe, if we're talking pheromones, from very far away, potentially. And if that dog gets loose, like any dog that gets loose, you never know what will happen without adult supervision of a person there and with a dog without a leash. It really has nothing directly just to bust a myth. It has nothing directly to do with them being neutered or not neutered, intact or not intact. Uh, directly. Uh, so we know that dogs are roaming without adult supervision. We know that dogs that are not socialized appropriately are more likely to bite. We know that dogs that have a history of biting are more likely to bite again. Why do they have a history of biting? Most aggression in dogs is actually fear. And most fear comes from, so it's, it's this big circle, is a lack of socialization or other reasons. Uh, and there are a variety of other reasons. Breed is not listed among the reasons. And this is not me offering this information. It comes from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So at one point in time, the CDC did track which breeds were responsible for severe dog bites. They've long, long, long stopped doing that for a variety of reasons. Most importantly, they say it really doesn't matter. The breed isn't 
Now, yes, absolutely, a larger dog of any breed or mix can, uh, sadly, uh, um, incur a more serious bite than, say, a chihuahua. You know, that's clear. But most bites happen to children. So, therefore, the chihuahua or small dog, I'm not targeting chihuahuas, that small dog uh, is still a threat, potentially, if that small dog bites, because we're talking about young children very often that get bitten. Uh, but getting back to what the CDC says, the CDC says that breed isn't relevant because of what I just said, as well as breed are, breeds are often misidentified anyway. And all those dogs back in the day and today that we call pit bulls, those blocky head dogs with big shoulders, and, and all those things that we kind of think of as pit bulls. It's interesting that those dogs can range from about 15 pounds to 85 pounds, right? Well, the reason in part why they range so much is that they're just mixed breed dogs. So the truth is, now that we can do, back in the day when I was testifying, I just tap danced the best I could. But now I don't have to do that anymore because we know through genetic testing, we know, we know that these dogs are greatly mixed breed dogs. So having breed is, is really irrelevant. And that matters for not only dog bites, but other topics such as uh, uh, what insurance companies do. So insurance companies for homeowners insurance very often say, if you have a certain breed or mix of dog or um, uh, HOAs or landlords, say if you have a certain breed of dog, you cannot have that dog in the condo or apartment. And it's unfortunate because there's no data really to support that there's a reason for that sort of thing. Uh, and it's the same with dog bites. Yes. I, I have one of those dogs, our, our dog Nova. She was a rescue and I think a lab pity cross and, you know, looks, looks very pit bull and just yeah, one of those one of those mixed breeds, but I I thankfully I'm a homeowner and I don't have to worry about that. But it is it's a concern, and even I know for I I used to evaluate dogs for the National Search Dog Foundation, and even looking now at at doing service dog training with Atlas, which is a really cool organization because it's all reward based. But there, there can be some barriers that even working dogs are, are encountering that, that limit, you know, if they, they go to a certain jurisdiction that has those breed-specific legislations in place, it, that dog maybe can't go in there and go work when it comes to the search and rescue type of dog. And so Which is crazy. It is crazy. there's a shortage of those dogs, for starters. And they're great dogs. I mean, individually. And that's the thing. It's the individual. It's not the... It's not... Genetics does matter, and I'm not saying it doesn't, but there's nothing inherently bad about these dogs. And I'm, I'm stuttering a little bit here because they're just mixed breed dogs. So I could say, <clears throat> excuse me, there's nothing bad about Irish setters or there's nothing bad about uh, Portuguese water dogs or pugs, or I'll take a, a breed that's a bit more challenging for some, like an Akita or whatever. There is nothing inherently that's going to be dangerous about any dog, even the Cane Corso. Now, having said that, <clears throat> not every dog is for everyone. Not every breed is for everyone. Every breed does have characteristics. There's no question about that. I mean, a dog that's been bred, I mean, I really cannot see 
not only because the morphology of the dog would make it a challenge to do, but I really can't see a toy poodle pulling a sled. I mean, that they just probably can be taught to do anything from someone like you, but they're not going to be as easily taught as a husky. Yes, you know, which they similarly, love, love to pull, love to move. Yeah, and while individual pugs will retrieve, <clears throat> excuse me, by and large, they are not retrieving dogs. I mean, genetics does matter. There's no doubt about that. But when we're talking about dogs that are so-called pit bull dogs, yeah, those genetics matter too, but it's the individual genetics of that dog because they're mixed breed dogs. But we're kind of getting off the topic a little bit. So uh, dog bite prevention has been around. Oh, let me back up one sentence here. The number of dog bites, according to, and I can give, the, give you the data if you want, but according to let's say data source A, B, and C are all going to be different because a certain percent of dog bites are not reported. Most dog bites happen within homes, <clears throat> which is one explanation as to why a certain percent are not reported. Uh, no matter whether you're looking at A, B, or C, they all agree the number of dog bites is actually on the rise. Now, is that because the number of dogs is indeed on the rise? Maybe but it doesn't matter. Um, what, what matters to me is that we've been working on dog bite prevention. You've been having these conversations since you've been in the profession and longer than you or I have been in the profession, some ideas came about that are really good. One is to encourage people to socialize their dogs. Yes, for a whole assortment of reasons, including dog bite prevention, that makes a whole lot of sense also to benefit the welfare of dogs. Okay, that's totally great. The other is you're walking down the street and you see a dog you want to pet or better, you have a child with you, teach your child to say, can I pet your dog? And that became a national initiative decades and decades ago. A great idea, appropriate. We need to continue doing that. But if those two things were working, then the number of dog bites wouldn't continue to rise as it apparently has. So if it's not working, we need to do something better. And I'm not suggesting, again, I want to make it clear if I haven't, those are great ideas. We need to continue doing those things for sure for a long list of reasons, but we need to do more. So what else can we do? So what do you think is a key element that's missing in that interaction? So beyond asking the person, can I pet your dog or having your child ask them, which by the way, and I'm throwing this out there, I'm sure everyone listening can relate to this, where so many times someone will say, or they will already be in the action of already bending down to pet your dog when they ask it, or they're already petting and they ask, so asking too late. But beyond just making sure that you ask before you interact with that pet, what else could they do to have a safer interaction? We need to ask the dog. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds crazy. I know. It sounds like, what? Ask the dog? What is it like Scooby-Doo who's going to say, is that a good Scooby-Doo? Probably not. <laughs> but it's not so crazy. So here's, here's what I'm talking about. So you're walking down the street, right? And you say to this person, can I pet your dog? And that person says, yes. We need to be better about reading dog behavior. What if the dog is clearly saying, don't pet me. Uh, maybe is growling. Maybe the tail is tucked. Maybe the ears are back. 
maybe is pulling as far as the dog can be on the other end of the leash to keep away from you or all of those things. Many people, not everyone, will then, okay, I get the message. I'm not going to pet that dog. However, what if it's somewhere in between and it's a bit more subtle? What if the dog is standing there? The person says, of course, Sparky loves people. And the dog is just standing there stiffly looking the other way. I would suggest that most people will go ahead and pet that dog. But you know and I know that dog is saying, I don't want to be touched at this point for whatever the reason. I don't know why, but it doesn't really matter. So I am convinced if we could read what dogs are telling us, and you can talk about this just as well as I can, that when you're training dogs, dogs are always communicating with us. They're always telling us how they feel. They're always, or often anyway, asking questions of us. It isn't a hard thing to do, but it is something that in part we innately know and don't respond to. We evolved with dogs. We understand them moderately well, but we do speak in different language and we need to pay more attention to what they're telling us. And not only, I would argue, if we actually can do that, which is a big lift, it's a big educational lift. But if we can actually do that, not only would the number of bites decline, but we would also improve the welfare of dogs. We So many dogs, they're not going to bite if you touch them and they don't feel like being petted. But isn't it the right thing to do out of respect if that dog is saying, don't touch me, just don't touch the dog? Yeah, it's it's really an invasion of space. And you think of like, you know, we have our own personal space and our own little personal bubble, and it feels really uncomfortable when someone encroaches upon that. And being from Idaho, like in Idaho, we have a very big like personal space bubble. And I know like in bigger cities, a lot of times it's really interesting, like people get more comfortable with people being closer and in, in their personal bubble. And so when I would go with my dad on different travels, like to New York, I was like, whoa, it's so crazy how people get so close, but they don't even think about it. But to me, it's like, oh, that's a little uncomfortable. And, you know, and, and so I think that some of that is how a person is raised and what they're comfortable with. Same thing with pets. Some pets have a bigger personal space bubble. Others are, are a little bit smaller, but it also can, so much of it can depend upon the context. Like even like a hug, for instance, it's like, yeah, like I am a huge hugger, but if someone actually, there was someone on a recent trip who just came up on the street and tried to hug me. And I was like, whoa, like, you know, backing up, like, what is this person going to do? Are they trying to attack me? What's happening? Like, you know, of course I'm startled. And, you know, same thing with dogs. And I think that's so important when we think about dog bite prevention, because, you know, over half of dog bites are inflicted upon children. And the most severe bites a lot of times do happen to children. Uh, And I think part of the problem there is that, you know, a lot of times the the child is allowed to do certain behaviors with dogs and learns, you know, the dog is forced into these interactions, forced to endure these interactions until the point that they supposedly just bit out of nowhere, which AKA they just weren't listened to early on when they were saying they were uncomfortable to the point that they had to progressively, you know, escalate and speak a little louder, speak a little louder and finally start screaming like, Hey, I am so uncomfortable. Please leave me alone. And that's when, when that will happen. So, 
you know, in the vast majority of cases, the dog doesn't just bite out of nowhere. But even for that family pet who maybe does tolerate and put up with this stuff, and like you said, you know, welfare issue right there in and of itself, but uh, it's a problem for the child as well because then they go over to grandma's house with grandma's dogs or they go to their friend's house with their dogs. And if they do the same behaviors like running up to give a kiss or a hug or crawling on the animal, things like that are going up while they're sleeping, like they are are really at risk. So it's so important to really teach our children the right way to interact with dogs and for us to model that because our kids are watching all of the time. I know that as a parent, my daughter's now 13. You know, and of course, she's in that teenage phase where she doesn't really want to model anything um, that I do. (laughs) I'm not so cool anymore. But, you know, I I think even training wise and especially when she was younger, like she did everything that I did. You know, that's something that she she would model. And and honestly, actually, we're still super close and we still are kind of two peas in a pod. And but, yeah, I think it's so important to look at training methods within that, looking at body language, and then also just really supervision. Supervision is so key because a lot of those really severe dog bites happen to children when they aren't being supervised or when they, so, or if they wander up to the dog and they aren't being watched. Uh, So, you know, those are some, some really high risk situations. So, Oh my gosh, I agree with everything you said so eloquently, you know, uh, but it's a big lift. I mean, we need to teach, the only thing I'll add to it is absolutely we need to teach kids and maybe it's easier to teach young kids than it is to teach old fogies, you know, uh, like me, about what dogs are saying all the time. So let me ask you a question. As a dog trainer, you almost innately, let's say you're in a dog training class and you've got six dogs in front of you and you can instantly, at this point in time, even if the dog is offering really subtle signals to many, even their owners may not know, or the people that are with them may not know what's going on, you can instantly pick up. And some of it is kind of breed-based too. You know, a dog without a tail is not going to be wagging the tail, for example, you know, but you can instantly pick up on these things. Some of it, I think we're hardwired to understand. I mean, rarely does someone in their right mind approach a dog in a car. No one human is in the car. The window is halfway down. Hopefully the dog is not being left in a hot car, but that's another story. And the dog is growling as you walk by. Its tail is like straight up in the air. It's giving every sign, stay away from me. And it's barking at the same time. It's a deep bark. I think most people, no matter how old they are, if they're in their right mind, they're not going to stick their hand in and pet that dog. So, I mean, there are things we do know, but I would suggest there's a lot we don't pay attention to. And even for some people that do know, I think they think, oh, it's my dog, so I have a right to do it. So the dog might be in pain, the dog, who knows why the dog doesn't want to be petted at that particular time. Um, But I've got a right to do that. Um, And that's ridiculous. That's how people get themselves in the trouble and then the human animal bond fractures. But let me go back to what I was saying. So you've got this class of five or six dogs right in front of you. You can pretty quickly, because you're highly trained to do it, and 
How many dogs have you trained at this point in your life? 10,000 or more? So you can instantly pretty much tell, okay, this dog, for whatever the reason, is uncomfortable in this setting at this particular moment. And maybe it's a dog that last week was very comfortable. We've got to teach the handlers, the people on the other end of that leash, adults, but also kids, of course, how to do the same thing. Yes. Very, very well said. You know, one situation that I was thinking about as you were were bringing up that part about asking the pet for permission. So as I was first starting my career, I don't think back on those days and I just, just had met RK Anderson and I was just meeting you and, and had my heroes. I was down. I'm in... no hero, but thank you. <laughs> Nor am I at the same level of Dr. Anderson. You, you definitely are both of you for sure for me. So I was down in California for the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. I was going through some of their training, and I just remember this situation. It's funny how you have certain memories that that come up. And for me, this one was really impactful. And it was just this like everyday interaction with this golden retriever and, you know, golden retrievers, they, people think, Oh God, that's the the friendliest dogs. They just love people. And, but this was a a newly rescued golden. And, you know, I, I could tell just from my training through people like you and like RK, like I had learned even at that point, you know, the dog had a closed mouth, the ears were slightly, uh, slightly down, uh, pressed towards the head, tail was a little bit lower, was kind of looking away and was standing still in place. So so when there's probably a crowd of like six or seven people in a circle that kind of encircled this dog to come up and pet because like, oh my God, this, you know, this new dog is being added into the family and the dog is like, ooh, like putting up with it. And I'm there kind of on the outskirts just watching because I know, okay, the dog's not comfortable. And I learned enough at that point to know, okay, I need to give the dog space and you know, I, I don't want to, you know, force my will upon this dog, but it was so interesting because that the golden retriever moved away from everyone that was petting, petting her. And she immediately came to me on the outskirts. So she pulled her person over to me because I wasn't going for her like that. I was the non-threat right there. And I was the safe person because I didn't invade her space. Totally right. You know, um, sort of a different topic, but you, you do a lot more of this than I do for sure. So when you go, you know, and you make a house call dealing with a dog issue, how important is it for you to see that issue reproduced? Probably not important at all, really. And how important is it that you instantly meet the dog? My guess is you wait for the dog to meet you. Yes, every time. Yeah. Always, yeah. Even, even with my own dogs. Like that's something I've taught Reagan like since she was little. I was doing dog bite Reagan prevention is your stuff. Reagan daughter, not yes. your dog for people who don't know. Yes. Thank, thank you for bringing that. Yep. So Reagan, my daughter. But even before she was born, I was getting, I had two pugs at the time. I was getting them comfortable with different things like having having their tail handled, you know, lightly pulled, giving them treats for that, doing different pats, pinches, you know, things that like, you know, building up to that and adding in treats. I prevented that from happening the best I could by teaching Reagan to, you know, to give the dog space to interact in a certain way. And even when she was petting, so I think even with like babies and toddlers, especially babies, they want to grab. So remember when I was helping her to pet the dogs, which she wanted to, I would have to pet with her, with my hand, with hers. So that way I could keep her from pinching and, and pinching the dogs. But, you know, there's so much that, that, you know, definitely can be done there in terms of, of helping to, help the dogs feel more comfortable. But, you know, with all of this, I, you know, the, another thing kind of looping back to what you said earlier, 
I think that there are these thoughts and these expectations put on certain breeds. So like a golden retriever, for instance, or a lab, like they are the friendliest dogs. They are the happiest dogs. They love everybody. But you and I have met certain labs, certain goldens who maybe aren't that friendly, who, you know, want more space. They have a very select group of friends. And, you know, just like, you know, just like I'm, I'm blonde. So I think as a blonde, people may have an expectation that I'm outgoing. I'm social and yeah, I definitely am. But I also, you know, I'm very, very driven. I can get really focused. And there are certain times like where I'm just like not in the social mood or I need my alone time. Dogs are the same way. Like there's different levels of extroversion and introversion for people and for pets. And, you know, given the context, if they are stressed out, they just aren't feeling well, they are in pain. Yeah, yeah, there are so many things that could influence how they're feeling. And just like us, when, you know, our back is sore, we had a bad day, we're more likely to snap. Same thing with dogs. Yeah. Um, before we run out of time, I want your feelings about this, because I'm going to be, you might have to bail me out of jail, because I'm going to be walking with a sign that says, down with hug your dog day. I'm going to mm. be picketing. I'm not a fan of that. That's coming up right around the corner, isn't it? Yes. I was so shocked. I just found out about it, that this is an actual national holiday is national hug your pet day, hug your dog day. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is not a good idea (laughs) in general. Yeah. Yeah. So both you and I, I'm sure love the notion of Mm -hmm. appreciating our pets. Yes. But uh, to my knowledge, uh, I don't know if this is hug your, I think it's hug your dog. It's not hug your pet. Yeah, hug so your dog. Mm-hmm. Hugging your fish would be dangerous for the fish, I suppose. <laughs> so I think it's just dogs. But uh, dogs are not little monkeys. They mm-hmm. are not gorillas. So uh, I actually, you might not even know this about me. I, I studied primatology. At I some didn't point know that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, worked for a short period of time in Borneo. Uh, researching orangutans with the world's no. premier. Oh my God, Steve, are- you have no idea. I just talked to Evan Anton. I was like, that's my sole animal is an orangutan. Like I really? love them. Love them. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your story, but like, ah, you just got me on the orangutan part. So I could tell you many orangutans, <laughs> uh, Dr. Anderson stories or orangutan stories next time we talk. Oh, I'm all but, about but, it. Uh, orangutans, Gorillas, uh, any species or subspecies of gorilla, either of the species of orangutan, of now which there may be three, uh, bonobos, the pygmy chimpanzees, or chimpanzees, uh, separate species, the species most related to us, all of those as well as human beings, uh, and we're all in the same group there. We all are born, no matter what culture, if you're a human, whether you're in the Far East, the Middle East, or in Alabama. You are, well, maybe not in Alabama, but in Alabama too. You are born as you're going to hug. It's not something that needs to be taught. Uh, We are hardwired as primates to do that, as our species of monkeys, as our species of lesser apes, the gibbons, and siamese. Dogs aren't that. So dogs have learned in many cases to enjoy the attention we give them, which they enjoy anyway. And if a hugging thing is part of that, they enjoy that. Other dogs say, ah, those crazy humans, I'm tolerating it. Other dogs actually don't like it. Uh, 
but they're not born to do that. And if we hug in particular dogs we don't know, or our children do that, we're talking about dog bite prevention. If we're if we teach our kids not to do that, particularly again to dogs they don't know, uh, I've got one image, and it's a video. It's from a YouTube video, and the YouTube video is of a child proudly hugging her dog, and how much the dog loves it. But I did a, a I captured that instant. You know when you do what what do you what do you screenshot call it? it? Yeah, thank you. Thank. Oh, you're good. Yeah, when I did the, <laughs> when I did that, you could see the dog's whale eye, the white in the dog's eyes. Mm-hmm. You could see the dog is lip licking, which is a sign of anxiety, and you could see the dog is turning the other way. You don't really catch that mm-hmm. unless you screenshot it. Is that yes. right? Yes. Unless you do that. But but I did, and I coincidentally I caught it, and I was because I I. I somehow knew this dog really wasn't having a good time. Yes. Turns out the dog wasn't having a good time. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to miss those little signals. It, that's the thing that actually horrifies me when I, because I love, I, I love kids. I love dogs, but I really, just in general, I have a really hard time looking at photos or videos. A lot of times that I find online of, of kids and dogs together because they are in a situation where the pet is obviously stressed, but the person just misses it. And they think, oh, the dog is so happy and just loves loves kiddo and it's right there. But the dog is doing these little subtle signs, like you said, where you can tell they are not comfortable. And so can you talk a little bit about like why it is so important to listen to those little signs and like how a situation like that, like um, for you when you are watching that, so whether it's a hugging your dog or some of these like cute, supposedly cute videos or photos of kids and dogs, like what, what does that make you think of and how, like, where could that go from? And there are so many subtle signs. So I've talked about this. I'm sure you have too, because you speak at uh, veterinarian dog training conferences a lot and a great speaker, by the way. So, uh, and a great teacher. So when you're doing what you do, uh, it could you fit, I couldn't, all of those signs of fear, anxiety, or stress in dogs onto one slide? I couldn't, unless the print was like a two-point type, because there are so many. Uh, and you, you, I don't know what the magic number is for a dog to snap. Uh, I'm sure that varies from dog to dog and context to context. But the reasons why, well, first of all, to answer your question, if we paid more attention to what dogs are telling us, and they are telling us all the time how they feel about everything in the world. But if we paid more attention to that, we could minimize the number of dog bites. And this is so incredibly important for a whole long list of reasons. Most dog bites, as both of us have mentioned, happen to kids. And it is traumatic if we're talking about any significance to that dog bite of it happening to a child and maybe traumatic for the rest of that person's life where they may be fearful of dogs or fearful of other things. They can actually get PTSD as a result of it. It is awful for for that person. I argue it isn't so great for the dog either. Dogs don't wake up in the morning thinking, I want to bite some people. They do it out of cause and typically it's last resort. So these dogs that are actually biting for the most part are, I would argue, 
potentially suffering, I don't know that I'd call it PTSD. I don't know that we have a name for it, but they're not happy about doing it. And their emotional response is not one that is going to be beneficial for the dog and maybe long lasting for that individual dog. In addition to that, it's as both you and I have mentioned, it's a welfare issue. So what's fair is fair. And it would be, well, there are unreasonable people or people who have had too many of those margaritas who might come up to you randomly on the street and hug you. It is not considered appropriate to do that to people we don't know. But somehow for dogs we don't know or barely know, it is sometimes considered acceptable or sometimes considered, well, we're humans, they're just dogs. So I, I also think, and I'm not this crazy animal rights person, I don't think, but I do think that it's the right thing. If dogs are our best friends, we ought to give them at least some respect that they deserve. And typically for many dogs, if there's a reason why they are saying, oh, don't pet me right now, there's a reason. So they may be in pain. They may be not feeling well. They may be distracted. And if you're distracted, so if you're looking, if you're, if you're busy talking at a conference mm -hmm. and I randomly walk up to you, even I who knows you, right? Yeah. And hug you right there as you're trying to say, well, notice in slide number seven mm -hmm. and you're trying to, I'm thinking you're not really going to be happy about it. No, startled. You might want to hit like, me over the head with your computer. Yes. So, and, and you might. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, it's just not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe if we paid more attention, we could better identify pain in dogs. Oh, and also if we're limiting the number of dog bites for anyone watching who doesn't have a dog, who doesn't want a dog, I can help you, by the way. I know lots that are available, mm -hmm. but even then you want your insurance rates to be lower. Mm -hmm. The amount of money, the amount of claims paid out in insurance for dog bites exceeds everything else, believe it or not. I, I actually read it was like a third of claims yeah. are dog bite related. Yeah. That's crazy. So if we could lower that number, then what you just said is true. So if we could lower that number, then everyone pays less for insurance. And I don't believe that there are a lot of people that would argue that would be paying less for medical cost and would be paying less for those lawyers who end up using, we use to sue whoever's dog it is that bites. So if we reduce the number of dog bites, there are so many benefits for all of us, all of us, even who may not have a dog. Again, I hope that's not anyone listening. And if it is, I can help you. But we're, we're helping society in a sense as well. And, and I argue that we're supporting dogs. So a couple of questions that I have for you. So I think that in general, one other thing that people might think that they are doing the, the next step or they're doing the best thing in terms of of letting the dog get to know them first by putting their hand out for the dog to sniff. So that's the other th thought is like, okay, first I'm going to ask for permission. Then I, or before I'll put my hand out for the dog to sniff. Do you think that that is something that you would recommend and why or why not? That is a great question because my answer to that is yes and no. 
So it depends, and I'm curious as to what your answer is. So first of all, do you know the dog? And if I know the dog, I mean, I really, so for, we live in a condo, right? We're no surprise here in a very dog friendly building. So there's other dogs who live here. So let's say the dog across the hall from us, a uh, Labrador who is rather boisterous, <laughs> comes up to me. By the way, I would not even, odds are, I because this dog's going to run up to anybody, right? Including me, because the dog knows me, right? So um, I don't need to put my hand, but, but I would put my hand out for that dog because, you know, I know the dog. I'm confident I know the dog and there's not going to be a problem. If I am walking down the street and seeing a dog I've never met before and don't know, I am not going to stand there stiffly because that gives the dog a completely different message. And I have no reason to be standing stiffly with I'm just talking to that person. But I am always going to let that dog say to me, I want you to touch me first. And dogs do that in all sorts of ways. But I want that dog to say, I am making the first move. And if that dog doesn't do that, I am not going to even try to touch the dog. Now, I wasn't always that way, but I now say for a, a, a whole long list of reasons, many of which I've already offered, that uh, I'm not going to put out my hand. I'm not going to do anything until that dog tells me in at least one way, and often they do so in many ways, that I want to interact with you. So I'm curious as to how, and then the first thing I do is, yeah, the hand comes out like everybody has been taught to do. Um, but they, you know, they don't need to really sniff our hands. They can sniff us, right? I mean, they're there and their sense of smell is about 50,000 times literally what ours is. So they don't need to do that per se. Um, and what I'd like to talk to you about at some point in time is the older thing in dog training that keeps coming back. So right now, I don't know if this has happened to you. It's not happened to me because I'm not a dog trainer per se, uh, but the attacks that come uh, from those who are supporting positive reinforcement dog training, uh, and in part from uh, dog trainers who don't, who are using electronic collars on, in fact, sometimes puppies uh, and using force uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to see it come back so strongly through social media, which is a whole different topic, but it kind of isn't because we're talking about dog bites and the repercussions or the price to pay. So I think that most people can intimidate a dog to do anything, uh, but using those sorts of methods, I, I believe, and science actually demonstrates that there's a price to pay later for that. Um, and the price may be the fracturing of the human-animal bond, but the price may also be now you have a increasingly fearful dog because of the way you're doing whatever you're doing to the dog. And it doesn't even have to be. There was one study that demonstrated that just yelling at a dog um, is scary to dogs and uh, no wonder. Uh, and it's abuse in my opinion. And, but, but that dog, you, you have a price to pay later with that dog and dogs. It's amazing what many dogs will tolerate, but even having said that, even dogs only. 
Absolutely. And it is, it's associated with, so those coercive, those force and fear-based training methods are an intimidation. It, as you were, were starting to allude to, it's associated with a lot of negative outcomes, including the increased risk of aggression and increased stress for that pet. And it goes beyond just the training situation. The pet is more likely to be aggressive to even unknown people, to people at the veterinary hospital. There was a study that showed even scolding your, your pet for something like, like not putting up with some care that you're doing, if you scold them, they're more likely to be aggressive at the vet. So, you know, trying to be able to build that trust in having those reward-based methods, it's not only going to help you, as you mentioned, to have that bond and protect that bond with your pet and that friendship and that trust, but you are, are making it a, a safer for that pet and safer for people that interact with them, whoever that might be. And which is also so important if there are any children in, in your life, because they do, they follow everything that you do. So, yeah. So even if the pet tolerates that perhaps with you, which is just, you know, we, we don't want to go there in the first place, but say that a pet tolerates you doing more of those coercive methods, you know, your kids are, are going to do that. They're going to do whatever you do. Even if you tell them not to, they still are going to do it. And that's really putting them at, at high risk of, of being bitten and putting your dog at risk as well as a result. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, you know, so my hope is that, uh, somehow uh, this idea, this notion I have of uh, going beyond where we are now, uh, of asking the dog, is it okay, uh, catches on. Um, and if it does, I am confident we're doing the right thing for dogs, but I'm also confident that we'll see fewer dog bites, which is the right thing for all of us. Absolutely. So, so I want to close out with just a couple little things. So when I think of hugs, National Hug Your Dog Day, I have, so I have three dogs. I have Nova, Indiana Bones, and Otis. And for all of the dogs, like, you know, first of all, letting them come to me, I, that's still something I do even with my own pets. So letting them initiate that contact and, you know, whether it's calling them over to me or a lot of times is, you know, they just come up on their own and two of my three dogs love to be hugged. Like they do, they just are, are cuddly. They love that closeness. They love to snuggle their little spoon or sometimes big spoon. Indiana Bones, who's like kind of my, my poster child, my, my, my star, my little man, my, my everything, you know, he is, he's much more like what someone might think of uh, for a cat. Like he will initiate the contact. He likes to snuggle, but it's on his own terms. Like if I were to grab him, he would immediately get stiff and be like, I don't like it. You know, and I can tell he's really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, I would never even think of, of trying to, to hug bones. Cause I know he would, he would hate that Nova and Otis. Yeah. They, maybe they'd like it, but it's going to be in a certain situation, probably when we're on the couch or a relaxed situation. So I think so much of it depends upon the pet in your relationship with them, the context, and what would be some other ways that you might show love to your dog beyond hugs? Um, so, and I'd love to hear like what, what your pet, pet's like and if they are big huggers. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now we just have one dog and a cat. Uh, the cat is about a year old, is extremely affectionate. Um, That's Groucho, right? Yeah. Yes. And Groucho actually hugs me all the time. Oh. Uh, I don't have to hug him. And usually always at night. He's always like right there. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, I really, and nor does Robin, my wife, hug our 
10 pound Chihuahua Terrier mix. Um, maybe it's because of her size, you know, mm-hmm. and her age. She's about 15 now. Wow. So we also don't want to hurt her. She looks uh, great. But, uh, yeah. I mean, she's doing okay. But um, I, so let me answer your question a different way, rather than our dogs, and no one cares about my dogs, you know. So I think that, yes, you're absolutely right. Some All dogs enjoy our attention. Mm-hmm. And what that form of attention is varies from dog to dog and person to person. Uh, so I think that all dogs, it's not only what we say, but how we say it that matters. And telling your dog that I love you makes you feel good. And certainly it makes your dog feel good. Even if your dog doesn't know what those words mean, your dog kind of does mm-hmm. know what those words mean. If you say it from the heart, your dog will feel it. Uh, so that's, I think, one thing you can do. Yes. Definitely uh, many dogs enjoy food. Mm-hmm. And I say this carefully because I don't want people, oh, Steve Dale said you could feed your dog treats every day, all day, 24-7. I'm not saying that, but you can use food as a reward. And that, yes, we do show love with food. Problem is we have a nation filled with overweight and obese pets, so many people go too far. But there are a lot of reasons, including under-exercise and genetics and all sorts of other things, why we have so many overweight and obese pets. Feeding too much is true. Feeding the wrong things is true, but that's only a part of the picture, uh, according to the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. Uh, So, yes, um, I'm not going to shy away from saying that you can show your pet that you appreciate or love them with some of their favorite foods. Just don't overdo it. Also remember that the 20 pound dog and the 80 pound dog are going to require or enjoy different amounts of food. You know, you give the same amount of food to a 20 pound dog as we might take in as a treat. So you have to also understand their size and break those milk bones in half or whatever. Uh, The other thing is that, One study that was done, and I never remember which Scandinavian country it is, but one of them. They're kind of all the same, aren't they? But one of them. (laughs) Now I'm going to be in big trouble. Is this the Um, Finland one, I'm guessing? Yeah. Okay. We're talking about the same thing. I got it. Where, Yeah, where the most enriching thing you can do with your dog turns out to be a walk. Are we talking about the same study? Oh, no, this is a different one. This is a different one. Okay. I like that, though. I'm curious as to what yours is. But... um, It turns out that letting your dog smell the roses uh, and the grass where the squirrel last ran in and all those things is exciting to dogs. That's not new, but the dogs do seem to associate their excitement with the other end of the leash and with us being there Hmm. and giving them the opportunity in the first place. So just letting your dog out in the yard is fun for a while. Dog runs around the yard or doesn't. sniffs whatever's been there since the dog was last out there, unless there's someone to interact, either another dog or you, it's really boring. Mm -hmm. But letting your dog, taking your dog for a leash walk is a different story. That's really interesting, especially if you go to different places periodically, that's even more interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something else we can do for our dogs as well. Uh, And it turns out, according to another study, not from Finland, that touch (laughs) turns out to be really more important than we ever thought about. So we kind of know that touch is important for dogs. It's important for us too. Mm -hmm. 
myriad of studies have been done demonstrating the benefits to our health just by petting a dog. But it turns out to be beneficial for the dogs too. I, I, I think that those are all really, really good points. And the Finland study, by the way, I can send it to you. We can link it. But <laughs> it was all about different dog breeds and different characteristics that go with with breeds. So it was looking at things like separation anxiety, for instance, and if certain breeds were more prone to that. And so very interesting. Yeah, and, send me that study. I think I'm familiar, but send it to me anyway. I will, for uh, sure. And Hopefully, we have provided some interest here for somebody. Well, you know, I, what it makes me think of, so when we think of like loving our pets and how we show them love. So for some pets that maybe they do love snuggling up and, and it is okay in those situations to give them a hug. I know Otis and Nova, oh my gosh, both both rescues, they just, oh, they are so affectionate, so touchy-feely. <laughs> Bones is more yeah, like, hey, let's train. Hug your a dog day. I'd prefer National Love Your Dog Day. I like that a lot better too. I completely and different agree. Different dogs love differently, just like different people too. Some people are huggier people than other people. But again, as human beings, we are predisposed to understand that other human beings do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's true culture wide across the world uh, of human beings. Uh, but it's not true of canines. You know, they just don't hug. When I, when I, when we were starting our conversation, we were talking about RK Anderson that just, he just happened to come up in my mind, it, like really wrapping this up, he comes up in my mind again, because the most impactful conversation I had with him and, and I had this a, a, a few different times, but we were talking about the notion of, of pets being able to love us. And so we know that we love our pets, but do pets really love? And I think you and I, as pet lovers and, you know, people that are, are you know, just, anyone listening, of course, we know that our pets love us. But especially back in the day, this is when I first started, I don't know, it was 13 to 15 years ago, probably uh, 37 now. But at the time, it was you, you had to be very careful about not anthropomorphizing. So trying to humanize an animal. And I think we've gotten more to where we realize like animals have such complex emotions and feelings and they're so much like us in so many ways. So, you know, of course we know now, like, you know, that pets have these, these depths of emotions that have, it has been shown in science over time that, you know, more and more is coming out. But at the time we were talking about that and RK was saying that that was, that's what he would hope for, you know, is, that, and that's something that he would want to leave behind because he feels that that pets can love. He feels that, you know, our dogs, our cats, that they are capable of of that, the, of love, of this true love. And so he wanted science to be able to show that. And so for research to be able to back that. And so I, I, I think that, like, like for me, it's like, I know that my pets love me through different ways. Like just even looking at their, their, you know, a, a certain way that they wag their tail or just looking up at me and their eyes get, you know, just really excited. Like those little dancing eyes or, you know, just, just the way that they approach uh, Nova does this full body wag. And I'm like, Oh, she, you know, she's just so sweet. But, you know, I, I love the fact that we are just showing more and more this complex depth of emotion that our pets have. And, and that was really something that RK, really inspired in me was that, that notion of being able to talk more about pets and their capabilities of loving. And I'm so glad to be able through fear free and through ongoing work with people like you, Steve, to be able to show that, that pets are fully capable of these emotions. And we, we really need to respect them in that way, just as we would respect a person. We need to respect our pets and their voice and their space just in, in the same way that we would for anyone. Perfectly said. I, Rarely 
can I say I have nothing to add to that? It's perfect. <laughs> well, can I add one thing? Sure. <laughs> I, yes. I'm sending you an air it's hug. You can. Okay. Well, I'm sending you an air hug, Steve. I, and also oh. just, just know that I love you and you are just so special. And I truly am continually inspired by you to this day. So thank you so much oh, for joining me. And more than very kind, somebody. but you know that I'm, I've, I've been a fan of yours a long time and I feel the same way, not only about you, which I do for other reasons as well. You're a survivor who has thrived mm. and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I respect that. I do. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in as we explore more about your pets. Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number three, the word one, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.